0: Welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast, the podcast that's all about cops. I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. You have tuned in, undoubtedly, to the most informational law enforcement podcast out there today because we'll talk to real cops, some active, some retired, and we'll get the inside story on law enforcement. So welcome again to the Boys in Blue podcast. I am your host, retired police officer, Bill McReynolds, and once again, I'm seated behind the stainless steel titanium microphone inside the Boys in Blue podcast studio here in Mesa, Arizona. And I am always excited about our guests. There hasn't been one that hasn't just been fascinating to talk to and unique in in their own way and each of them a special story. And I am really excited again today because we have Dr. Paul Chabot on as our guest today. Are you there, Doctor?
1: I, I am here, sir. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. Great to be with you and your listeners.
0: And you've given me permission already to call you Paul. <laughs> <The doctor. laughs> now, let me go over this real quick. And I'm going to ask you about your background and how what drew you to. Uh, law enforcement that, but let's, let me just, first of all, I saw you on the national news and you've been on Fox News, Fox Business, CNN, HBO, NBC, Nightly News because of uh, your real estate company called Law Enforcement Move. And you also have a, a secondary real estate company called Conservative Move. Now, you are retired from the San Bernardino Reserve Deputy Program there in California. You have a business that you run called Counterterrorism Consulting Firm. You are a commander in the Navy Reserves, going on 19 years. Now, that, that's Navy Reserves, but commander, you don't get to be that overnight. You are a published author. Your adjunct professor with a doctorate's degree in organizational leadership. So we are ple I don't know how you packed up. All- on the TV, you look to be about 40, maybe. So I, you must have been doing three things at once there and sleeping four hours a night. That's all I can think of.
1: Uh, no, absolutely. Yeah, 46. Uh, I jokingly say I've always had ADHD. So the more I can <laughs> stay involved in things or work 10 jobs at once, uh, Uh, The happier I'll be. So, um, uh, yeah, great. Thanks for the introduction. Great to be with you. Uh, You know, it's great to be in America. A lot of opportunities uh, out there for uh, basically not only, you know, starting a family, holding a job, but, you know, making your dreams come true. And and, uh, that's why we started one of these businesses that you saw on Fox, Law Enforcement Move, because many of our brothers and sisters that wear the uniform are working in areas across this country where they are not respected, they're under attack. And our heart just goes out to them. Um, you know, many well, of them are, are, are dealing with extremely difficult, difficult circumstances today. And, uh, well, and that's the, are, that,
0: that is the beauty of your business because you can relate to all that being involved in law enforcement. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. So now let me ask you, first of all, uh, Paul, you, where did you grow up at? Did you, were you raised in California there? Yeah, I was born and raised in,
1: in Southern California uh, in uh, what's known as the Inland Empire area, uh, Riverside. And then uh, spent some time up in the, the high desert area and then in the city of San Bernardino and then Los Angeles. Uh, and then uh, moved out to Washington, D.C., where I worked there for six years in the White House doing drug policy and then back to California uh, two thousand and five until uh, two thousand and sixteen and then moved to Texas uh, in at the end of two thousand and sixteen, where I have been here and happily ever after
0: so now you you were drawn to law enforcement at an early age. How old were you when you first got involved in law enforcement
1: yeah so i was I was fifteen uh, years of age uh, when i when I joined, and I, I have a little bit different story than than some who may join i you know, I grew up uh, a typical household in, in California. But when I was in the third grade, my dad uh, was arrested. Um, I remember the cops came to the door, took him away, and so I, I I grew up as somebody um, who didn't like like the police initially. Um, wow. you know, I didn't understand a lot of it. Um, I, I rebelled. Um, I have a very uh, challenged past. When I was 12 years old, I went through drug rehab for alcohol and marijuana. Ran away from home, getting in trouble in school. And um, we lost our house, um, and then my mom moved us up to the, the high desert area where we literally lived in the middle of nowhere on a dirt street with no air conditioning, no heating, just uh, a roof. Uh, we had some wire antennas on the, on, the, on, the, on the roof of the house that pointed down um, towards the L.A. area, and I could just pick up Channel 11, and, and I would watch Cops every Sunday night. Uh, <laughs> You know, back, back, back then. But I, I was still, you know, very rebellious. Um, and and in high school, there was a retired sergeant who was teaching an after-school program. It was a ROP, Regional Occupational uh, Program, I believe, called law enforcement. Well, mind you, my mom moved me in the middle of nowhere where I really couldn't get in trouble or do anything. So I was so bored that I decided to enroll in an after-school class about law enforcement. Just because there was nothing else to do, and quite honestly, the, the sinister nature of it, I wanted to take the class because I didn't like police, and I wanted to figure out at that young age how to get, get around them. And, and, and here I am, this, this high school kid with you know, three earrings in my ear and long you know, skater bangs, which were popular in the 80s, sitting in this class with about 12 other students. And the instructor, was, and he has since passed, his name was Mike Beaumar. He was the tallest, biggest man the sheriff's department in San Bernardino ever had. He was so big that in this patrol car, they had to take out the front seat and move it, physically bolt it in the back.
0: And, and here I am, this
1: little, you know, five foot, you know, kid with this big deputy. And, and honestly, um, you know, he did God's work. He took me under his wing, most just as a father figure in many ways. And here I am sitting in this class learning about law enforcement and actually then falling in love with the profession.
0: Um,
1: wow. but they did, I had a complete 180 about it. Um, he encouraged me to meet with the sheriff Explorer advisor, deputy Melody Griffin, who's long retired. And I speak with her often. Um, and then she took me into her wing and into the Explorer scouts. And I, you know, cut my hair. I learned how to shine my shoes. I went through an Explorer Academy, which was the hardest doggone thing I think I've ever done. Uh, at that time, but it gave me the discipline that I needed, and it gave me the mentorship that I needed. And the Explorer program just opened up everything for me. I applied for law enforcement scholarships through the Boy Scouts at the time. I got a scholarship to go to college at Cal State San Bernardino, uh, became a reserve deputy at twenty one and And I really credit uh, where I've been able to go in life to Sergeant Beaumar. the the Sheriff's Department, that Explorer program for helping me get on the right track, because I easily could have gone, Bill, Bill, I I easily could have gone the other way. All the friends I grew up with, you know, and and you know this, just working with kids, if if you don't have right parenting and the community has drugs uh, and just issues and gangs, uh, you can easily go down that path. And I could have. So, I Well, you know, there's a, it's
0: it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, You, I find that there's a lot of People that ended up in law enforcement. That were in those very circumstances. In fact, (laughs) retired deputy chief uh, out of Maricopa County. He's wonderful man. He said, uh, "I found out uh, I couldn't beat him, so I joined him." (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yeah, he he fell in love with the uh, law enforcement from the back of a police (laughs) car. Yep. Yep. Well, it's 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 better late than than (laughs) never. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And uh, you talk about tall people, um, it just brings back so many memories. Uh, I had a partner once that was six foot nine. And that was back in the days when we had bench seats in the patrol cars. Wow. So, therefore, the seat was always all the way back. So, he right drove it because if I put it up to where I could reach the pedals, his knees were up in his chin, you know, if he was riding shotguns. <laughs> so, I can relate to that, yeah, all these tall guys, and you know they match you up with a guy I'm like five nine, so it was uh yeah. quite a quite a pairing there, so you were in Riverside there, and now, how did you um you went to washington d c from there yeah, so the the history on this um I did my
1: undergraduate work at Cal State San Bernardino, I stayed a reserve deputy sheriff and then I was accepted into the master's in public administration program at USC. Well, I didn't have a lot of money, and that school was really expensive, but sure. they had a university uh, public safety department, or you're almost like an equivalent to a university police department uh, with an MOU through LAPD for police powers um, of arrest, and this was back in the 90s. Um, so I applied to be a, a, a PSO, public safety officer, with USC, and was accepted into that um, job. And I did that for, for two full years in, in LA. Uh, it was great. They paid you know a good chunk of the, the tuition, um, kept my reserve status in San Bernardino. And then uh, just prior to graduating, I was accepted as a presidential management fellow uh, to go to Washington, DC. And I had a number of job interviews through that two-year fellowship to join a number of eight different agencies. Uh, But the one that I went with was um, the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy, which your law enforcement listeners also manages what's called the HIDA program, the High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Program. And I spent six years uh, in D.C. uh, working those programs and also two different stints on loan to the U.S. Attorney's Office back in L.A. countering meth labs, and then uh, with the Department of State uh, in In uh, Virginia, doing um, uh, inspector general uh, reporting for them. And uh, then I left DC in 2005 to move to California to marry Brenda, who was a probation officer with San Bernardino County. Hmm. And uh, once I moved back to California, uh, you know, got married, started a family, and then the California governor's office reached out to me direct and asked if I would be interested in being a commissioner on the state parole board. Uh, and I, I took that, that job and I worked in the California prison system appointed, um, three times by the governor for each of those appointments and worked first in the juvenile um, justice um, side of the house, uh, which were the uh, offenders 25 and under in what was formerly called CYA, California youth authority to then, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name. Uh, but then I, in 2008, uh, while I'm working that job, I got called up to go to Iraq uh, for the Navy Reserve as a lieutenant at that time, intel officer, deployed to Iraq with the Joint Special Operation Forces, uh, working on intel, and then came back to the states after that, toured Iraq, reaffiliated with the governor's office, and then moved from the uh, juvenile side to the adult side of handling adult hearings as the state parole board commissioner. And um, then from there, ran for office, state assembly in California, uh, came close to winning number two out of seven, and then stayed involved in politics, stayed involved with the Republican Party and my uh, reserve status, ran for Congress out there um, and came close to winning that. 14 was the Republican nominee in both 14 and 16, uh, but could not overcome the uh, mass amount of money pouring into that district for my opponent and moved to Texas in 2016 with my wife and four kids. And here we have been now for three and a half years and just a blessing to be here and and have created the business law enforcement move and conservative move and working with police officers all across this country. And it's just been, uh, you know, one of the most rewarding parts of my life so far.
0: Well, all that and raising four children. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Paul. Paul, Paul. you know, uh, I'm not going to give you any credit. I'm going to give all the credit to Brenda.
1: <laughs> That's right. She ab- absolutely, absolutely. Look, and, and, and I'll tell you, despite my military law enforcement background, I still haven't figured out parenting. Uh, these uh, kids yeah, have got boy, me wrapped I, around I, their finger. I will say if uh, for the dads out there that have daughters, I did read a book called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. It has a strong religious context to it. Uh, it, it has provided some guidance, but uh, I'll tell you, I've got a teenager in the house and the others are 11, 10, and 7. So it, it it is a there are a handful, but uh, every
0: you know, day's I, an adventure. That that it is absolutely. Boy. So now tell let's talk about this law enforcement move. Now this sure um, were you in this is a real estate broker company, right. correct? Right. Okay, and you founded this company. First of all, it was conservative move, and right. then uh, branched out into law enforcement move as well. Now how did this all come about? I mean, from your yeah, background so- into real estate.
1: Sure, sure. So when we moved to Texas from California three and a half years ago, we realized that so many people literally on our street, uh, the postman, the guy at home depot, they were all from California, and they all moved here for the same reasons that we had, which was a better quality of life. So I just thought, why don 't we create a business um, and help families do exactly what we did, and we launched this little crazy idea with a local friend um, who's a realtor here and Overnight, the idea just blew up. We were on every major news network. We've been on Japanese TV, Chinese radio. Uh, we've been all over the, the world with people flying here to interview us. And the reason they're fascinated by it is because you know, people are moving. They've been doing it long before we created this company. But they're moving to areas where largely three conditions exist, and that is um, a safe community with low crime, great um, jobs, and really good schools. And right now, you don't see those three conditions, three things existing in a lot of Democrat states or deep blue areas. So from this, overnight, our company just blew up. We have over 400 agents working in 40 states, helping our clients sell in blue states and move to red states. The three most popular states that people are moving to right now um, is Texas, Idaho, and Tennessee. But you definitely have other states in the mix, South Carolina, Arizona, Utah, Wyoming, And most people are moving out of New York, New Jersey, uh, Illinois, Washington, and Oregon. And then a few months ago, we then launched law enforcement move. And and the purpose here was to really micro-target, speak to those officers that are working in these cities or counties where their elected officials don't respect them. They're talking about defunding the police department and, and helping them Move out of those areas and affiliate with police departments that are in police friendly communities, which you know is, is basically 90 percent of America um, right now. And just to give you a very personal story that I had a chance to tell on Fox uh, this, this week, we had a, a husband, wife and four kids uh, fly out here. I'm not going to mention the agency, but from California. And they just realized that for the future of their kids, they had to get their, their family out. They came out here. They met with us. They bought a house in Texas. But this this officer is not retired yet. He still has three more years to go. So what he's going to do is he's going to continue to live out there, basically, you know, renting a uh, out of a hotel or an apartment occasionally, and and then flying home here to Texas now to be with his family. And and it reminded me of going to Iraq in the military, where you know I'm going over there to fight for my country. Uh, he's still keeping the job to be able to get his retirement in three more years, but he knows that his family can't live there anymore. In fact, his family and others have been harassed. We hear this often by by spouses of police officers that call us that say, look, my kids can't even play on the street anymore because they all know that, you know, my husband or my wife is a police officer and they're just getting they're getting bullied or things are happening. We don't feel safe anymore. So there is a huge migration out. My my heart really goes out to the officers that are that are sort of stuck. Like they've got to wait for that retirement. They're close to it, but, you know, they're just getting beat down every day verbally and and in many ways physically without any backup or support from their elected
0: officials. Oh, I'm telling you, you know, it is is, uh, heartbreaking to see. In fact, uh, I don't know how they do it. And my summation is that just like uh, the example you gave, the guys that are continuing to go to work and aren't using all their sick time, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. but can't, they're so close. They're kind of like the point of no return. They can't right. retire, but they've got so many years on now, They to walk away would be a financial nightmare for them. Yeah. So they have yeah. to endure. And uh, I'll tell you, I don't know what, you know, to, to be af- to be afraid to even make an arrest, I mean, you might go to jail, uh-huh. you know, yeah. just for putting handcuffs on a guy. I mean, you just don't know. At least, I don't know how they do it. I really don't. Yeah.
1: You don't, Bill. And then you, the other concern is, um, and this is a very legitimate concern that a, a lot of Americans are just now waking up to, but it's not only the city elected officials, it's who the DA is for that county. And what we're finding is George Soros is funding, in fact, front page today on Fox News talks about the, the Soros funded DAs across this country and how anti law enforcement they are. And Soros has been funding congressional candidates, Senate candidates. Presidential races, he he's the one that pushed the whole marijuana nonsense across California to Colorado to other states. Then now he's investing in getting radical leftist DAs into office, and so police not only have to worry about you know just the difficulties of the job, but in the difficulties of the job of making any sort of um, um, error that the DA sees is criminal and then charging that officer. Um, to that extreme, simply because that DA has that anti-police mentality. And there oh, is the question. The officers have to now question, you know, what kind of DA do they have? Do they have a radical anti-police DA? Or do they have somebody in there who's going to, you know, really do what's right by by the code and by the law? And we sure. really encourage cops to look at their DAs. And, 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 and if you've got a radical leftist DA, even if you've got a great police department, you are – putting your family and yourself in jeopardy again for any mistake that, that, that you can make.
0: And that's, that's the, the bottom line, you know, it's not only yourself, it's your family and everybody that's else. Right. These guys, I mean, I think they come out and charge you before they even know all the facts. I mean, it's just yeah. amazing. Anyway. So yeah. I think that's a valuable uh, uh, business opportunity for you. And also what it's a win-win situation. I mean, You can get these guys. Now, I'm surprised, uh, no, I'm not surprised. I'm from Washington, which used to be fairly conservative. Right. Then they had the migration from uh, California. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they all went north to Oregon and Washington and they kind of blew it, but there's still parts of rural Washington sure. that's uh, conservative. Now I will say this, um, we vacationed up in Idaho. What a difference. I mean, people are actually flying their flags, uh, right. and, and then I was thinking before I even saw your deal on the news, I mean, I'm down here in Mesa and it's, it's a conservative town, but we're right next to Phoenix, which is right. not so conservative. Um, anytime you have police officials kneeling, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. uh, okay. The handwriting's on the wall there. Right. So anyway, um, we looked into moving up to Idaho just for the simple fact that we're with like-minded people. And then they had on the news where uh, Antifa or whatever was going to, the word was they were coming into, I believe it was Idaho Falls. Yeah. And uh, so the boys, the Patriots up in Idaho Falls, they said, okay, well, come on up and visit. Well, they showed up. I mean, these guys are in their trucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm and uh, anyway, Antifa decided not to go. And I thought, boy, right. oh, that looks pretty good. Then, it wasn't a week later, they, the word's out, they're going to go to Coeur d'Alene. Now, it just so happens uh, a personal acquaintance, as far as retired from Mesa PD here, is the chief up in Coeur d'Alene. So yeah. we know what kind of man he is. A good guy. But anyway, um, Antifa and Black Lives Matters, whatever, they showed up. However the Patriots outnumbered them. They're like five to one. And I can tell you there was no trouble there at all. <laughs> and it was exactly what I suspected when I was up there vacation. I thought, man, these people are, you know, kind of like-minded. And it, and all of a sudden uh, reminded me that, okay, like a lot of the LAPD, they re- relocate to Idaho, Western Montana through there. And uh, so... Your your business there, uh, law enforcement move is just so timely. Now, how many have you? Is a lot of people taking you up on it? How? Tell me how the process works. You help them sell and then find a new place. How does yeah, it work? yeah,
1: yeah. So we've helped thousands of, of families over the last three and a half years. The law enforcement one, you know, it it takes a good three to six months, and some people are in a three year plan. But we've already helped the number of law enforcement. Um, but because we just launched this, you know, last week we've already had you know first, second, third. Um, push for sale already they are not only coming to texas but i'll tell you what you mentioned Caldwell. lane yeah that area is hugely popular um, we have our lead agent elsa out there who's from california who manages the entire state of idaho for all of our clients that are interested in moving there uh, we do tell our clients don't move to boise unfortunately every big city in america including in idaho like boise um, it has its challenges. They've got a Democrat mayor, but look, for the most part, 95% of Idaho is, is conservative. And when you get up far north into the Delaney, it's a gorgeous, beautiful area. And I'll tell you, the memo for cops and firefighters has been out for a long time to move there. And a lot of our clientele um, from conservative move um, that, that, that they go to that website, register, and we find out that many of them are prior law enforcement um, retirees looking to go. So we do already have a number of law enforcement that have moved with our existing prior conservative move company and now also micro-targeting to help law enforcement law enforcement move dot com is just gonna think amplify that because we want to give officers the opportunity to hear that they're not alone, that we're gonna help them, we're gonna you know, we're gonna do everything we can to support you, get out of get out of that place and get to another one. And on one of our Facebook pages, we we took the old escape from LA and Escape from New York movie posters. And, and are blasting those across the country and literally using those as examples of what these places look like, uh, where they are burning and looting and taking away the tools for law enforcement to be able to do their jobs and just letting, them, letting our officers know that there really are you know, greener pastures and we want to help get them there. But you know, something, Bill, that I, I, that I want to bring to the forefront here that we as a society are not talking about and we need to do a better job of it um, in the military, you know, a lot of our officers that deal with combat, or uh, sorry, a lot of our enlisted and officers that deal with combat in, in Iraq or Afghanistan, et cetera, many of them come back um, with, with with mental health concerns. Uh, PTSD is a huge um, condition which we recognize now, and the military has finally come around to this with good treatment. My concern is about PTSD for all of our officers right now who are literally under attack. I've seen some horrendous videos of police precincts where the crowd at Antifa is on the other side literally trying to break through the block walls, yelling and screaming. And if you're an officer behind that, hearing that consistently, that's going to impact you. And to know that you don't have the support of your mayor or the police Mm -hmm. chief or the Mm -hmm. DA. So I really want to ring the bell here saying that We must speak louder about the mental health of our officers and what they're going through right now. Otherwise, we're going to have a tsunami um, happening uh, upon us. And we've we've got to raise this issue right now that what's happening is causing dire, dire consequences that must be
0: addressed. Absolutely. And, you know, it's the the thing I hear now is like officers in New York and uh, these places, uh, Portland. Who could deny them the fact that they went out on a medical for PTSD? Right? right. I mean, I mean yeah. Yeah. That's just that's, insane. Yeah, it, it's
1: it's but that's exactly it. And, and and I and I would I would hope that we I mean, I you know, I don't want to you know, wish anybody any any ill, but to know that, you know, if if they've been damaged to please, you know, get get the get the help, get the identification. Sure. Of that of that ailment to know that hey us in law enforcement me included we've all been down this road uh, we we know you know how to get help it's, it don't be afraid to ask for help but we need to put this and look I think we should have a high number of retirements for the officers that that are feeling these conditions uh, maybe that will be the, the the next way that not only can police departments not retain and recruit just based on the this rioting and nonsense of attacks. But we're literally injuring them, maybe not always with physical injuries, but mental injuries. Sure. And, and, I, and I, I do not blame them one bit for nope. medical retirements. In fact, I okay. I would hope that, that, that those would so they don't have to suffer anymore if they do are dealing with these
0: um, yeah. issues. I mean, when, like you said, like you mentioned earlier, when your tools are taken away from you. I mean, those yeah. guys in the precinct, they know yeah. how to defend the precinct, believe me. Yeah. But yeah. when their tools are taken away from them, their hands are tied, and they have to flee. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, like a bunch of cowards or something, which they're not. I mean, yeah. that is emotionally demeaning in itself. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. But now it yeah. sounds to me, Paul, that when you mentioned Idaho's grave, you don't go to Boise. It right. sounds to me like your company does a little research as oh, well. We oh, tell me about that. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So our agents for each of the lead states, and, and the reason I think our company does so well is because we depend on our agents who are from those states to know those areas. And some of these states are so big. For example, in Texas, you know, all of our states have a lead agent, but that lead agent then has a team underneath them of other agents that live in these geographic regions where people want to move to. And the, re- the reason that's so important is because you want to you want to find somebody who knows, um, you know, Caldwell, who knows McKinney, who knows Prosper, Allen, Frisco, whatever the, the cities are, because you want to help educate your clients. They're going to ask about the schools. They're going to ask about the crime. They're going to ask about employment opportunities. They're, and those agents are are absolutely essential for helping our clients know about the communities and where they're going to move to. So that's, and it doesn't end there. in fact, our agents are, become lifelong friends with our clients because we spend so much time with them, showing them homes, discussing opportunities. And in many ways, you know, this is what it's like. Nobody's moving away with a sense of joy. You know, most of these officers and our clients are leaving places that they were born and raised. sure, sure. they're leaving with a sense of sadness, but they know they have to do it for a better life, for their family, and for themselves. So when they come to us, it's not as if we're you know, celebrating. It's we're, we're, we're consoling. We understand. There's a lot of counseling that goes along with it, but then also introducing them to others who've made the exact same move. And that right. really is where right. they feel that sense of community, and they just smile because they realize that, wow, they were literally living in a bad relationship and that bad relationship was that bad city, that community, that bad whatever it was, and they were getting abused all the time.
0: In a sense, wow. And, and well, you know, and um, leave. that is that is just a such a significant point. And I'll tell you, I never thought about that part until you just mentioned it. That these guys are not celebrating their leave; they're just they're broken hearted for what's happening right. to their hometowns and exactly. the way things used to. Oh man, now see, I didn't see that before, but I do now. Wow. Yeah. So. You have to wear multiple hats on this gig. I'm telling you what. Yeah. a Counselor. <laughs> yeah. My but, you know, we, we love it. We love
1: it, Bill. It's uh, you know, we really feel like what we're doing is is a genuine service for helping people. It almost feels um, you know, I mean, in many in many honestly, many circumstances we don't make money. Many of our clients are going to come and rent a house or an apartment. First they got to get their footing and we we make nothing on either end of that. And we're fine with that. So we do feel we're providing a community service. But as a capitalist company, of course, you know, we do make money and that's off the sale or purchase of a home. But there's nothing added on to our clients. Our, our agents mm-hmm. simply pay a commission back to our headquarters uh, from each sale that uh, that the, the person who owns the home would typically pay uh, out to an agent anyway. So it is very transparent. There's no hidden costs. There's no membership fees. Uh, we just do what we do and, and uh, we, we feel like it is a mission.
0: Well, you know, it's been my experience that God will make that up to you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, right, right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, you just cannot give things like that. I mean, it'll, it'll come back in, in uh, 10x, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, this is a very valuable. I'm so glad that I ran across this law com, and that you were able to come on the, the podcast, Paul. I really appreciate it. Now, what is the best way if someone was – uh, to just go to your website if an officer is listening today and thinking, you know what, I've just had it with LA or wherever they're at. Right.
1: Yeah. So they can just go to law or conservativemove.com, um, um And they, there's a contact form for the law enforcement officers. If you're sworn, we ask you to go to law We have a different database of collection. When one fills out that information that's sort of compartmentalized away from um, the, the, the civilians, all of their information remains confidential on both sides anyway, but we just like to keep, um, law enforcement in its own little compartment away from, um, anything else. So please go there. And, um, you know, for those that are nervous about letting their current employer find out, um, you can always utilize a spouse or a friend, or even, you know, maybe utilize a, a different name. However you want to reach out to us, uh, maybe like an informant in a sense, uh, you know, we're here for you. Many of, your, many of these folks are, are not ready to move right away. They might be a year, two, three years out. But it's good to start the planning process now, the, 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 the thinking about it. On our website, on the conservative move page, um, we have links to free webinars. For example, um, almost every week for the next few weeks, we have a, a webinar covering a different state starting with Idaho, and then Texas, and then Tennessee. And it's free. You can come on and, and hear from the state lead agent about taxes and schools and public c- safety, and then also either write questions in or, or come on live or, or, or email. And it, it, those we find are very, very beneficial uh, for folks in the planning stages as well.
0: Wow, that's great. Boy. Well, it sounds like you got the bases covered. And I'll tell you what, that is a valuable service you're providing. And also, like I said in the beginning, it's a win win. I hope uh your business thrives and I know the people will benefit from that if in fact they're in that position where they just can't handle the uh the culture that they're they used to love. Anyway. But anyway, yeah. Paul, I wanna thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we kind of wrap up here today? Yeah, a quick thirty seconds. Uh sure. Bill. So take, yes take yesterday a, take, in the
1: city Oh, thanks. Well, I, I really want to encourage um, everybody out here to, to, to consider this. Yesterday in McKinney, um, we hosted a police appreciation event where uh, we used one of our Facebook pages and uh, we used a website called Give, Send, Go, which is a faith-based, Christian-based platform for raising money. And we raised over $2,000 to provide um, individual catered meals from a local pro-police restaurant that were delivered yesterday. And we uh, had 150 meals delivered for all shifts, all police officers and dispatchers. Uh, we had the community out there rallying with flags and signs. Um, local CBS affiliate came out, covered the event. It was on TV. And we would just encourage, you know, anybody out there, law enforcement or retired or not law enforcement, to consider doing something for your local police department, working with your local restaurant creating a Facebook page, getting some small donations in and just organizing the event, letting your local media know about it, asking kids in your community to make homemade signs, homemade cards, show up as the food's delivered and, uh, and just, you know, honor um, the, the men and women that are still out there behind the lines, no matter what city or county they're in. We're all in this together and we want America to see that we love our, our police and, and we respect what they're doing.
0: Thank you for that, Paul. And that, that is such valuable encouragement. And like you said before, you know, I guess I don't really like to call it that, but it is in a way. Uh, We are the silent majority. Most people (laughs) like us. And my experience is 95% of uh, the community appreciates police officers. just that, you know, we don't burn police cars and turn things over and break windows. That's the whole thing. Well, listen, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And we'll wrap it up and you stay in contact with and anything I can do from this end, you let me know. And I'll tell you what, I'll spread the word about that. And and I think supporting wherever you're at, whatever law enforcement uh, community you're in now, just letting them know is so important. So thanks again for being on the podcast today, Paul. And we'll wrap it up and we'll see you next time. Again, this is Bill McReynolds, host of the Boys in Blue podcast. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Boys in Blue podcast. Again, I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. Boys in Blue comes out every other week. Subscribe to the Boys in Blue wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and let us know what you think.